This is part two of a two-part podcast. Have you ever wondered whether a particular book was really good or just so-so, and if you could trust the reviews online? When it comes to books related to permaculture, Permies has a large list of reviews for over 100 books. Perhaps you're considering a book for yourself or a friend, or you're just curious about what's out there. Stop by permies.com forward slash book and take a look at the book review grid and read some honest reviews, and hopefully you'll find the next book to add to your collection. So when you took, even even after, especially after you took your permaculture design course, um, how has learning about permaculture changed the way you think? Um, <clears throat> no, it's, it is very different. I mean, when you have Colorado potato beetles, Colorado potato beetles are an agent of nature. So before, they're those fuckers eating my potato plants. Yeah. And they must die. Those potato plants are mine. Didn't you read the sign? Get the fuck off my potato plants. But with learning permaculture, it's like, okay, these guys, these guys are part of nature. And if I am more aligned with nature, then um, it'll be easier. So somehow I'm supposed to appreciate these little motherfuckers. So how do I go about... Like, what are they doing? How, how is that? So, so I've learned and I've, and, and, you know, I, I know that at least once in this podcast, I've described the difference between an organic farmer and a permaculture gardener and potatoes. So this organic guy's got 40 acres of potatoes and he's got Colorado potato beetle. And, uh, if he doesn't do something, he's going to lose them all. But the permaculture guy is like, I've got all these hugel cultures going in all these weird shapes and all these weird stuff, all these weird things on the inside. And so there's all these different potato plants, higgledy piggledy everywhere, mixed in with everything else. And so if there's Colorado potato beetles in one plant, who cares? I guess that potato shouldn't have been there. I got all these other potato plants that they'll leave alone because they're growing in in some kind of environment that's better for potatoes. Whereas the guy at the field, it's all homogenous. Everything is exactly the same. So all these potato plants will die the same death. Well, I think I'm wondering more, not necessarily how it's affected the way you garden, but how has it affected other things in your life? Like, has it changed the way you relate to people or build community? I think I think a lot of my philosophies about building community are rooted in trial and error. Um, when I was at the, when I was working in aerospace there before I decided to ditch my career, the thing that they, the, the, the fun thing is, is that when they hired me, when they called me and they said, we need you. And I said, okay, well, what kind of role do you need me to be doing? Well, we talked about that. And what we decided on is we just kind of need you to come here and be you. And so, um, that's very flattering and delightful. Uh, I'll just show up and I guess we wing it. <laughs> so pretty much it turned out to be that there were 80 engineers and every engineer had a different idea about the way the company should go, which would mean that no, no software would be developed by the time that the rockets launched. And so it's kind of like launch date doesn't slip. And so we need everybody to 
choose one. So I, I feel like what I did was I tried to guide 80 engineers to go in the same direction. I was not their boss. <clears throat> I was just some putts. And uh, I even worked for a different department than they all did. Um, so I kind of feel like a lot of the communication skill that I got from there is stuff that I carry over. A lot of the stuff about running massive online communities is part of what I use. But then it's a lot of trial and error. I mean, my philosophies in community are so different from what's considered good, then, um, which has a 95% failure rate, then um, I just feel like we need a better model. And so, um, I don't know, everybody who comes here to Wheaton Labs, congratulations, I'm experimenting on human beings. And so, how does it feel? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they do call it a lab. That's true. That's true. And so, what does that make you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <I'm> science. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I don't know. We're doing an experiment. I mean... I feel like, for the most part, everybody here gets along way better than most other communities that I have observed or been in. And um, and it's because of the style we have selected and, and these new techniques we're trying out all the time. And granted, it's not perfect. It's, it's clunky and stuff. It's just about 20 times less clunky than the other designs. I, I'm going to just say that this is my opinion. And I don't know if you have an opinion on the matter. Oh, what I've experienced here is a lot of... In a, in a lot of communities, there are a lot of egos and a lot of people who think that they, they know things the best way and, and want to push their views. And I see a lot of people here who are able to check their ego and and and, and say, hmm, there might be other ways to do this. Let's hear what other people have to contribute. Um, and... And I've even seen you do that sometimes. And I, I think there's a lot to be said for, pardon me, but shit trickles downhill. If you have bad leadership or, or leadership that is very, very rigid, then that travels down and in the hierarchy and everything else as well. And you're going to see the, the lowest floor sweeper having the same kind of issues because it becomes a systemic problem. Um, and so I think some of that is, is the way that you you do uh, say, hey, you know, I'm still experimenting too, and I'm willing to listen to your suggestions or what you want to try. It doesn't mean you won't ever say no. <laughs> right. But you will at least, you know, hear them out and, and, and help them determine the merits or lack thereof. Which I feel like, you know, with with other communities everybody has to hear out everybody to the very very end and uh, with this design one person has to hear out everybody to the very very end and and it's like so in a way it's only 500 times more efficient because if you've got 20 people in a community uh, isn't that I, I think a long time ago I calculated the number but I think it's something in the neighborhood of 200 relationships so and it's also the, the, the person hours 
So, like, one person spending the time to listen to, to another person to the very end is, is that many hours. But if you if everybody's doing it, then, then it's all those people's hours. Well, the, the other thing is, is that if if you want to... If you want to change, or if you want a thing to happen, then in the other system, there's 20 people. You got to tell 19 other people, you know, the whole thing. Um, with this system, you only have to tell one person. So, um, but uh, um, but still, I mean, I think that you know, we call this uh, this this you know decision making process we have the independent thought consensus dictator hybrid, and so. The dictator is only like one or two percent of the decisions. Uh, you know, all the rest of them are either independent thought or through consensus. And so, just the ones that get stuck in consensus are the ones that go to the dictator. Although, we really kind of solve everything at Taco Tuesday. I mean, there are some things that don't get resolved at Taco Tuesday. So, so everything's the wrong word. We we resolve most stuff at Taco Tuesday. Where and uh, and I. And the function of Taco Tuesday is everybody comes to Taco Tuesday so that if anybody has anything they need to say or feel they need to say, they can say it. And it will be heard by everybody. And the, the, the trick is every once in a while somebody's like, I don't need to go to Taco Tuesday because we never talk about anything anyway and I want to do something else with my Tuesday evening. And I say that's not okay. It's not about that. It's not about actually hearing what's said or whatever. It's about everybody having the possibility to say a thing and that they will be heard by everybody. And so just having that as an option, that is a critically important ingredient, whether they say something or they don't. And just because people have been not saying something doesn't mean that you can skip it. So my my theory is is that this is a critically important ingredient. And if somebody is like, I don't feel like going, then my position is is then you're going down the road. You're all done here. And also tacos are great and so is ice cream. Right, that we do ice cream afterwards, right? That's true. Yeah. So, um, tacos, ice cream. I, I think we put on a pretty good Taco Tuesday spread. I think it's pretty good. Although I do think I, we I should... I think there's a lot to be said for building community around food, too. So. Okay. I, I do think that once in a while we should break it up and do a Tiki Tuesday. I think um, uh, a Tikka Masala Tuesday. Oh, Or something okay. along those lines. All right, that's a possibility, too. Um, I, I know that... Like, in the last five or six Taco Tuesdays, I think we've had three where the complete duration was four seconds. And, and it goes like this. Anybody got anything? Everybody no? Around. <laughs> okay. So, concludes community business. Let's eat. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> so, next question. So, w- speaking of being a boot and Taco Tuesday and hanging out here, would 18 to 20 something you have been a good boot and why or why not? I think I would have been an amazing boot um, and that's because um, I think I think that there's a massive difference between a farmhand, which basically because of, of my time with granddad, I'd become quite the farmhand. Uh, there's between a farmhand and uh, a, a brand new boot. 
and um, and so I know I've talked with uh, Stephen about this, <clears throat> and uh, basically the thing is is that in one of the examples we used is uh, putting up firewood. So uh, if if there's a dead standing tree right there, and and you're gonna you're not gonna put it in a truck, you're just gonna drop the tree, limit, uh, bucket and stack it that a farmhand on day one will put up two cords of wood. And um, a boot, after being here for two months, in fact, I, uh, Stephen and I, I talked about this, and it's like, because I've seen it happen. So let's say we've got four boots. They've been here for two months. So they've already put up some firewood. That by, by the end of a four-hour block of time, they will not have quite completed a face cord. So a uh, face cord is one-third of a cord. So four boots for half a day, not even a face cord, compared to a farmhand, day one, two cords of wood. But the farmhand did a full day. Anyway, and that's, that's kind of expected. So would I have been, I would have been a great boot. I would have knocked all a lot of the stuff right out of the park. A lot of because a lot of the people who come here to be in the boot camp, they've they've got no experience. They've never held a drill. They've never held a hammer. You know, they've they've never held a shovel. This is this is all completely new to them. And the first week is pretty much a wash. But you know. So is it just those skills that make make the ideal boot, or? Is there some other piece, like the willingness to learn or to check your ego when you don't know, ask for help, any of those things? Well, okay, first I want to, I, I think I recorded a podcast. And in fact, I want to say, I want to say it's podcast number 86, but I, I could be wrong about that number. I, that's just popping into my head, but it's the podcast about ego. And um, and I, I, I kind of feel like ego is an amazing word for self-growth. But we, but I choose to never use this to apply to others. And when I, when talking about others, I would like to say, I hope I am supportive of everybody's ego. And um, now, uh, and and then I further want to say that asshole or douchebag or any of that kind of stuff. <clears throat> what those words really mean is that that person has a different value set from me. And I believe that when people point at me and they say that I'm an asshole, what they're actually saying is that Paul Wheaton is not obedient to my whim, and therefore he is an asshole. And so I would much rather be called an asshole than be the puppet of a nitwit. So, which is why I don't speak at the Missoula Public Library anymore, but I already shared that in a previous podcast. <clears throat> so. Fair loss. All right. Would I have been a great boot? I think I would have been a great boot. I think that, um, uh, the, the people that come here to be in the boot camp, um, they've, they have made it through a pretty big filter. Uh, A, they've decided to go someplace that's called boot camp. So they're kind of like open to the idea of getting some shit done. Um, B, they paid a hundred bucks, and so I don't know. I kind of I kind of feel like that's that's a pretty damn good filter, also. So um, 
yeah. I, I think I think that um, the, the people that have come to the boot camp for the most part have been pretty great. We, we've had a couple sour ones, but that's just going to happen. Um, for the for but most of them have been great, and for most of them, I'm sorry that they're not here anymore. Um, and each person has their story, but. Um, uh, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Did I answer the question? Would I have been a great boot? Yeah, I think I would have been. I think I would have been a great boot. In fact, a lot of the systems I'm de- I've designed here are to facilitate me at different points in my life from the past. Like there was a time I was looking for a place to be able to go and do permaculture and I didn't have a lot of money. <clears throat> and I wanted to be able to like get an acre or two to, to do my thing. So one of the other things you talked about was how um, you did a project that you could kind of show off when you were a computer engineer. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of reminded me of your skip program. Um, and that's kind of akin to a college program, uh, to an alternative college program that guys participants to create a portfolio of skills that demonstrates that they're committed to and experience a variety of tasks relating to homestead and homesteading and permaculture. If a program like that had existed when you were the right age, would you still have gone to college and become an engineer? Or do you think you would have pursued something like that? Oh, boy. So, throwing throwing into the mix of all this. So, like, when I lived with Granddad, when I was 11 years old, um, I remember Spring Roundup. And I may have been 12 by then, but but uh, I was 11 or 12. What? Probably 12. Yeah, now that I think about it, I probably was 12 years old, this memory that I'm about to share. And I may have shared this in a podcast before. But um, I, Granddad felt very strongly. In fact, I remember my Aunt Donnelly, she said, how could you stand to live with that man? <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was heaven. But <clears throat> Granddad was very much like, don't put your hands in your pockets. You look like you're lazy. And when you're going to go get something, don't walk. Run. Run. And uh, so when the time came for spring roundup, one of the most challenging jobs was given to me, a 12-year-old boy. And, and that was to stand behind the cows in a chute to convince the cow to go forward to where the cow ahead is screaming its full head off because it's getting its shots. Um, rarely did we need to dehorn an animal, but if it was a, if it was a bull, <laughs> this is the moment it's going to become a steer. <laughs> it's, so there's, but mostly for the cows, it's going to be shots, but you know, okay, so. There were some animals where they were, like, not happy to be in the chute one animal ahead. And my job was to convince. So when I, I got to tell you, when I, when this kind of animal is nervous, like in a chute, and there's some obnoxious child behind you, I think at that time, I think we were, all of our, our uh, whips were taken away and we were told to use cattle prods. And so you're not going to go backwards because that obnoxious child has a cattle prod. <laughs> and, and, uh, but when you're nervous and your tummy's a little off, 
you can squirt that diarrhea about 10 feet back where that boy is. Oh, well, that's better than getting kicked. Yeah, I never got kicked. Did see a guy get kicked, and he had to go to the hospital. I never got kicked, but I wore, it was a hot day, and I was wearing my winter coveralls. So that way there were less seams for all the shit to get into. But I'm still covered head to toe in shit. Now the thing that really made this frustrating is that my uncle had provided a great big garbage can full of ice and sweet cold Pepsi Cola. And uh, I couldn't think of a way. First of all, it's way over there where all the lazy people are. And I'm over here working hard so I can impress Granddad. And not going to where the sweet cold Pepsi Cola is. But I thought about it. I thought about this a lot. Suppose I had a sweet cold Pepsi Cola in my hand and somebody had taken the cap off and everything. And I could drink all I wanted. But my lips are covered in shit. And my sleeve is covered in shit. I can't wipe the shit off because everything I have to wipe the shit off is also covered in shit. How am I going to drink this? I I never came up with a solution to this dilemma. And so, next up, while I'm sitting there, sweating profusely so hot so hot because I'm wearing my winter coveralls and it's a hot day and I'm covered head to toe in shit I'm thinking to myself there's somebody right now sitting in an air conditioned office where there is no cow shit And they are casually drinking a sweet cold Pepsi Cola while doing whatever it is that you call work while sitting on your ass. I want to know how that person got that job. And it was the next day that I was introduced to my first microcomputer. Does this answer some questions? So, so uh, probably would have still gone that route at least for a while, huh? I yeah. I mean, living with Granddad was awesome, and um, while it lasted, it was the best, the best. Which is why the Better World book is dedicated to him. Um, but you know, that moment. <laughs> then the, and then it turned out I was really good at the computer thing. I had a knack. I, I it, for everybody else, it was too hard, but for me, it was really easy. So uh, that's kind of what I got into. And then, even when I got to be a professional at it and getting paid and shit, it's like, it's like so many of these other people were just dumb. Podcast one hundred is with my friend Andrew Monkhouse and we recorded a podcast about fluorescent lights but Andrew was a big shot software engineer at a place called amazon.com and um uh and and I talked to him a few times about how dumb their 
tests were and stuff. And I, I think he tried one of his questions on me. And I think in the podcast we talked about the question and and basically the answer. So he, he presented a scenario. How would you write this algorithm? And he's like, you got an you got an int going in and an int coming back, and the job is whatever it is, something to the int power. And I said, I would make a table, and I would just reference the table. It's like, but that's very limited. And I said, but the largest value I can ever possibly return is an int, and so that's a very limited number of solutions. So I, I think that was my answer. I can't remember what my answer was, but I think whatever it was that I came up with, I proved that while my algorithm was stupid, oh, not a table, I said um, I would make a loop and I would I would just do the multiplication that number of times because the number can't possibly be anything too big because I'm returning an int. It has to be small because that was one of the things that you said. And then that calculation is going to be faster than even doing a calculation, like even doing a table lookup. Hey, this is T. Blankenship. Are you a fan of Pi? Where there is Pi at permies.com. This Pi grants the user of secret access. You also get free things like videos of Wheaton Labs, the ability to add two thumbs up, two posts, and more. To get Pi, go to permies.com forward slash Pi to get the inside scoop of what Pi can do for you. Again, that is permies.com forward slash Pi. So, ah, that was, so basically I'm the first person ever to give that answer, and my answer is, of course, superior to all the answers that have ever been given, <laughs> including the one that he had for his, for his own question. <laughs> so, anyway, the thing is, is that what I'm trying to say is when I had such a knack for being a software engineer that even when I went into the pool of software engineers, it was still very easy for me. And um, and basically, in a way, I had mastered software engineering very, very well. And I kind of saw permaculture as I'm now going to take on a much richer programming language and I'm going to program the world. Does that help answer your question? That's deep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that answers it a lot. Um, I also it sounds like also that helps provide you with the capital you needed to transition and to start out and to to build your empire and some of the skills. Right? So I I made a website uh, called Java Ranch and um, it it didn't really bring in very much money ever uh, and and um, uh, so. Um, it was, but I needed, I had things I needed to say. And I needed people to learn Java easier because the way that they were trying to learn Java was stupid and complicated and they're making it hard on themselves. So, um, so I made that website and, and, um, I, I know that in 2012, I had enough money saved up to, to put a down payment on land, but a lot of the land I was finding was like, you're not allowed to do a down payment. You have to pay for the whole thing outright. So then in 2012, I decided that I wanted to do something to monetize uh, my, my software engineering website. And so I made up a whole new way to advertise, and I wrote to a bunch of... I, I, 
told myself 40 hours. Do 40 hours. So I forced myself to do 40 hours. And that was how I came up with enough money to buy the lab. So... So speaking of buying the lab, what was the process of finding land like for you? And do you have advice for someone looking to, looking for land today? So I, I think I wrote a three-part series on what my advice is for everybody to look for land. And I think that um, I would want to cheat and look at those articles and, you know, basically, I don't know, just read them into the podcast, I suppose. But um, I knew that I wanted to eat beef and dairy. And so that would mean cattle. And I felt like I could do 80 acres as a bare minimum, but 200 would be better. Um, I I needed it to have deep soil because if nothing else, if I'm going to build a wafati, I'm going to need to be able to, to get down into the soil. I need to get, I need to dig. I wanted to build lots of ponds. I, um, so for three and a half years, um, I lived in the Missoula area and shopped for land um, intensively. And um, it was, I guess, at the three-year mark in 2012 when I decided, you know what? I just need to get more money. And then I could just go buy a piece of land rather than perpetually shopping only for pieces of land where it's going to be owner-financed. And so um, that's... That's what I did. Did I answer the question? Yeah, I think so. Um, you can always put a link in the podcast description for the, the article about where you wrote about what you would look for buying land today. So um, when when I was reading your permaculture thorns drafts, I found myself wondering how old you were in the various community living situations and how some of the other events that we've talked about fit in. Like, were you in a community when you decided to try gardening as an adult or living with a significant other just on your own? Well, I, I did the thing in college several times where, you know, with housemates and the whole, why won't you wash your fucking dishes? And, um... Uh, and then I don't, you know, all those, all the different things that are college housemate things. And, um, that's, that's just kind of a big part of how I needed to, to do it. I needed to, to do that, you know, and, and, um, uh, then, um, let's see, uh, I, I did when I, when I, I'm thinking about, okay, I lived in uh, Eugene, Oregon, and I was housemates. And then um, I, I started off in La Grande, Oregon, housemates, housemates. And then uh, Eugene, Oregon, housemates. Then I moved to Missoula, and I rented a room and had housemates. And then I moved to a better living situation and, again, had housemates. And so lots of lots of housemate stuff. This is... I mean, um, I don't. I for a while in Eugene, I had my own apartment, and then twice a week, I made sourdough pancakes, and um, my house would fill up with like twelve or twenty people. This one bedroom apartment, and we would all eat sourdough pancakes. Only the sourdough pancake thing, it got to the point where it wasn't ending until 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and I had stuff to get done. So, um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm a very community person, and um, 
uh, and then you know much later in life uh, uh, I went back to the the whole housemates thing again and again and again and and uh, uh, I eventually served on that board about a community incubator and and things of that nature but um, I know that I um, I did the housemate thing but it was it was formally called an intentional community and um with you know consensus as the decision making model and um uh and then i i went to a place where it had a, a central leader and that central leader turned out to be a piece of shit and and it's like i wish i could have known that before i moved there and so um that was kind of part of where i'm thinking like well okay if i'm going to be a central leader I have to be able to put information out there so people can kind of get an idea of what I'm like for when they're coming out here to be part of what we're doing. Um, and so things like that. Does, did I kind of did I answer your question? I think that answers a lot of it. Um, that it's been something you've definitely done over and over and over again. Um, it just wasn't because a lot of people have roommates, for example, in college, and that's very different from, I think, trying to be in a consensus model situation or whatever later in life, too. Um, I guess my last question is basically, you know, Fukuoka lost a bunch of familial relationships following his beliefs but conversely Jeff Lawton gained an amazing friendship with Bill Mollison and more time with his family through permaculture have your relationships been affected by your permaculture lifestyle or mind and my or mindset and how um permaculture um well, we talked about the click in a podcast a ways back, and and I, you know, basically the idea is two people are grooving on permaculture together, and then one of them clicks and the other one doesn't, and that, you know, leads to those two not being together anymore. Um, I I do know that. Um, I get a lot of people who need to tell me what to think or what to say or what to do. And when I say no, thank you. And it's because of permaculture, but I think it's, it's, it's more accurately because I have a large audience or because I'm the guy in charge here. So basically they're, they're like, Oh yeah, this model works great. I will tell you, Paul, what to say, think, or do, and then and then everything will be smooth. And then when I'm like, no, I'm I'm not doing it that way. They they get very angry, really, really angry. And so, <clears throat> but is that permaculture or is that because I'm the guy that bought this property, um, or uh, I don't know, just. Normally, to me, it just seems like that kind of thing is mostly just human nature, obey, or else. As far as permaculture and my relationships, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, to me, permaculture is like being obsessed about gardening. 
And so sometimes you find other people that are also obsessed about gardening, and then your buds. And so I think there's a similar thing for permaculture, but I've I've also met people in a community situation long, long ago, um, before Montana, before coming back to Montana, I should say, like when I was in the Seattle area. And and I've I met a lot of people while they were in community with me, and they have completed a PDC, and they were horrible, they were mean, um, and so it's kind of like, um, so what has permaculture done for my relations? Well, you'd think that we'd be buds and that we'd want to build community and stuff. Then of course, from the Thorns book, the story of Andy. Those people all loved permaculture, and they fucking tortured Andy. So, um, and I saw it firsthand. I went over there and saw it. They were very mean to him. And they were just human beings trying to see if they can get more candy by being mean to this guy, being mean to this nice man um, who has been so generous to them. So... This is kind of a weird human nature. It was a, it was a permaculture. It was permaculture done for my relationships? I think um, I I can say that as a single fella, um, permaculture is so important to me. I don't think I could just go into Missoula and meet a gal. I don't think that that's a possible thing. Um, uh, I don't know. I so I don't know. Maybe permaculture is making it so that I'm going to be very single now maybe I don't know um, is that the maybe maybe you need to clarify the question for me like in what way are you thinking are you trying to ask this question well I know that when we talked about it before you talked about how like one of the inspiration behind the permaculture playing cards was to make it easier to talk to friends and family and not have them look at you like what's wrong with this guy because of the eco scale gap um, so is that something that you found from the people who were existing in your life when you started really getting into it or I do think that um, I have a branch of family that I think they are very very cool and awesome and they think I'm nuts and um, I, I, I cannot fault them for that and um uh, so, um, so in that respect, I suppose that my being so keen on permaculture does make a big gap between me and, and others. Um, uh, I don't know. I feel like, um, there are people that I know in Missoula and I just try to not talk about the permaculture because I know that they think it's crazy. But yeah, the cards, the, the intent of the cards. And by the way, this might be a good time to point out. I'm not printing anymore. What I got is all there's ever going to be. And um, so I'll probably run out this holiday season. But um, but the cards are supposed to be that you buy a dozen and you hand them out to all your friends and family. And hopefully they'll look at them. And then because you did that, you might seem a little less crazy. So you still seem crazy, just less crazy. Now, I've heard from some people that they've actually converted some people to permaculture with the cards. 
Um, and they do feel very strongly that it does make them seem less crazy to the people that they've given the cars to because they've actually looked at them. And so um, they're doing their job. They're working. And, and so I don't know. Have you ever had somebody who thought you were crazy and you handed them a deck of the cards? Um, definitely had people think I was crazy, but I didn't have a deck of cards to hand them. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So, um, it's a thing that I've been told many times, but, um, I am at a point in my life where I would rather have no friends and be thought of as crazy and do what I think is beautiful, amazing, world changing work. Than, than the opposite, which would be, oh, look at me, I have all these friends, but I don't do anything fascinating. Um, that being said, I'm trying to come to grips with how my books are, uh, I, I, I kind of have it in my head that they should sell a thousand times more than they are, and they are not. And so I need to be okay with how things are this way this is you know i wrote books that did very well for a while and then uh, apparently they're not as awesome as i thought like both skip and the better world book so um therefore i don't know people people that are interested in this flavor of permaculture i guess and so i don't know i thought I thought Skip would be doing a thousand times better than it is now. I thought the Better World book would be literally saving the world by now because interest would be a thousand times greater. Skip is literally my favorite thing on Permis, and and I think it's highly underrated. I, and, and, I didn't and, know there was a rating system. I'd like to look at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's the, the the what is it? Acorns? Or oh oh yeah yeah, yeah you can go and say I give this. 10 out of 10 acorns. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But uh, I was thinking about, like, in the in the book publishing world and stuff, like, it's not a New York Times bestseller, and it really should be. Yeah. Oh, I think so, too, for both both books. But um, it is what it is. And um, and I, I feel like if, if either book was doing a thousand times better than it is now, the boot camp would be full and our Kickstarters would do better and things of that nature. I, I think, yes, I agree that both books are, are great. I also think that there was kind of a movement towards having a greener home in the the middle class-ish um, prior to now and now more more of the movement is toward homesteading stuff and so the skip book has more of the like moving toward homesteading stuff versus the better world in your backyard is more for the suburban middle class-ish or urban um kind of in my mind like more of the stuff in there is is applicable to to them well um i i kind of feel like i mean a lot of people have been grooving on skip and they have no interest in inheriting any property. That, one of them. That seems like 80%, maybe even 85%. I like no interest in inheriting property ever. But this is, this is, it, it feeds something in their soul to do these things. And, and it's like, 
it's like I like who I am now a hundred times more than who I was before. Seems to be kind of part of what I'm hearing. Maybe the number is a little different or something like that. But but it's like that's there's a you know why why do you do the BBs? Why do you, how about hey cat why do you do the BBs? Um, I think it's a great checklist for stuff that I probably could benefit from knowing how to do. Um, I I have property and intend to homestead it, and I, one, wouldn't feel great about if I decide to become an Otis, giving it away to somebody who can do things that I don't even know how to do. Um, so I should, I feel like, me for me to be ethical i shouldn't i should have done some of the stuff that i'm expecting from them um i'm a completionist i like the i like the shiny badges i think those are cool um it does kind of prove that you've done something and then i may know i'm talking about occasionally (laughs) and if somebody comes and they start saying like oh you're so full of shit it's like you got all the badges just sitting right there right in front of their face right you know and somebody else can say Actually, you seem like a dumb fuck, and she's got all those badges about this, so she's at least done that, and we don't see you doing anything, man. Yeah, I mean, a portfolio of skills. What if I I go take my PDC course, right, and I, I want to I design some stuff for other people, and um, maybe I like the homesteading niche I can point at my badges and go, like, these are things that I've done so I understand more of what you are going to need in your design than somebody who's only done, like, large-scale commercial farms or or or, or, or uh, luxury properties. I think a good one is, is, like, when we have the story of Andy, and there were all those people that turned out to be douchebags. Right. And it's like... I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast has met some people where they said they were amazing. Oh, I'm so into permaculture, and uh, I'm all about, like, growing gardens. You just can't stop me from growing a garden. And uh, whatever is their thing, you know, they got all this stuff. They say, I do this, and I do that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And, And really, for every person who says that, for every 20 people who say that, 19 are full of shit. And that's a sad fucking thing to live in a world like that. But one person is telling the truth. So how do you tell the one person who's telling the truth from the 19 that are full of shit? And it's kind of like, this is a way. And it's like, I'm tired of talking about this stuff. And whoever I'm talking to about it is utterly certain that I'm full of shit because everybody they've ever talked to about this stuff was full of shit and it's kind of like um, alright we, we gotta have a way to separate the good people out from the people that are full of shit and on top of that on permies we get people who come on there and they act like they're experts but they have no fucking idea what they're talking about but they they talk as if they are the expert and everybody else is a dumb fuck. Good people are dumb fucks. And it's kind of like, all right, we got to clear this up. 
And yeah, I, that was one of the things I liked about when I was on Permies is it was real easy to look and be like, okay, well, Mike and Opalin clearly know what they're talking about. And then you've got people like Joseph Lofthouse who knows what he's talking about because he's writing the book and it's in your shop. Right. Yeah. And, and like, like, we know that that's who that is and that that's guaranteed to be that author. And he's talking about the stuff that he wrote the book on. So like, like it's really easy for me to determine that this is a quality source when I'm reading a post versus this is another guy off the street. So I, I think that there's something to be said for if, if you're feeling sick to death of being treated like dumb fucks because other dumb fucks are saying the same thing you're saying or something similar that at least you can do a thing to prove to yourself that you're not a dumb fuck as well as like have a place we can go to talk about this stuff and develop some cred and so you know i i i feel like that's a big part of what a lot of people are doing with it and and granted the whole thing came about with mike ayler begging me and and he was not the first guy i it's like he was like number 24 in a series of people and um many of whom offered me land you know, and it's like, uh, I already got my own thing going. Um, and, uh, so if I, if you gave it to me when you die, all I would do is sell it, you know? And so, uh, you, sh- you might want to find, cause what they want is somebody that's going to do cool stuff on their land after they're gone. Okay. Like keep it moving forward, you know, like love the stuff that's there. All right. I believe you said that was the last question. I don't even remember what it was. Did, did I answer it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't remember what it was either. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, relationships. Um, yes, relationships. That was the last question. Yeah. Did yeah. I, did I, I, I think you did. You talked about, yeah, it's changed. And I think I'm kind of in the same boat that... Um, I would rather have, like, five people that could really get me and, and love me and care about what I care about than 50 billion, like, like okay relationships where, they, where they're not really, really into me. I'm, I am trying to be okay with um, uh, being uh, not in a relationship. And, and instead, like, trying to nurture this community, trying to nurture the online community, trying to move projects forward, trying to change the world in a massive positive way before I die. And, and so this is what's important to me. Um, uh, uh, and so I feel like um, Sepp Holter... Um, I'm gonna, I want to name a bunch of other names. There's a bunch of people that are very keen on permaculture, and they've become utterly disgusted with permaculture enthusiasts to the point that they want to have nothing to do. So you're saying, how does permaculture affect relationships? And I think that um, what these people are saying is, is that they are repulsed by people who like permaculture. And, and it's like the story of Andy. Those people all loved permaculture, but they were all terrible people. And so then Andy got rid of all of them and a whole new batch comes in 
and it I was think that's part of how we got around to skip too, is because like you can see who who really actually likes loves permaculture because they're they're doing that's true cred right it's true it's true the the people that are doing the BBs stand out they they are these are the people that love permaculture and they actually do something. You know, as opposed to the people who love permaculture and they either destroy... And they love the idea of it. It's or so they cool. just talk about what they're going to do someday. Yes. You know, and, and that's as far as it ever gets. And in the meantime, they'll be very hostile to people that are actually doing things. You know, you didn't say the three ethics when you built that hugel culture, so you're a stupid shit. And it's like... uh this is, you know. You introduce this species that isn't from here to fill this niche and, and provide something. And, and I would never have done that, but you weren't the one doing it. Yeah, you weren't doing fucking anything. You know, you planted <laughs> that apple tree, which is not native. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, uh, well, what, what have you planted this year? Not a fucking thing? You've sprayed a lot of herbicide on a lot of non-native plants, but you didn't plant a fucking thing. So, um, I don't know. I, I kind of, yeah, this idea of like, that's, which is another thing too. Like, I want to be accepted into this group. And, and in order to get accepted in this group, I got to get at least BB20. You know, and it's like, so you go and start cranking out some BBs. And then, and now, now you're kind of like in the group. You're kind of in, you know, and uh, and and it's it's a great group. Oh, feels so good. Um, as opposed to being part of this other group before, which seems to be dominated by angry people who talk about what they're going to do someday. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you anyway, know, I don't know if I'm anywhere close to how. How does permaculture fit in with how's per, what has permaculture done to my relationships and uh, I, I don't I don't know I mean I've, I've kind of gone like like permaculture by itself versus having created this massive online thing uh, and created this property being a public figure I don't know if I'm a public figure um, I'm I'm a I'm a known by few figure. Um, well, if it makes you feel any better, ChatGPT couldn't couldn't generate you because it didn't or not ChatGPT, but yeah, couldn't some kind of AI, AI thing? couldn't generate you because it it didn't have enough pictures of you or know who you were. Oh, okay. It, it wanted to to give you Will Wheaton instead. Oh, yeah, you're not the same dude. Fuck's sake. So yeah, see, so I'm I'm a I'm not a I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a person. I'm not a Whatever it is that, that, you know, none of those things. I'm just a doof with a microphone. I, I, you know, there's about 12 people on the other end, or that's what I tell myself. I know that the podcast gets downloaded like 10,000, 15,000 times or something like that, but I don't know how many of them actually listen to it. I always imagine it's 12. I know that my Patreon has like 80 backers. You know, hey, go go sign up for my Patreon thing. <laughs> I know. I also know that we're perpetually talking about like we got to get a thing fixed and we need more money. And uh, and I think if there was more money in the Patreon thing, we would make more podcasts. But um, generally, it's kind of like uh, 
yeah, there's we go and make a podcast. We're not going to get very much money for that. So, um, yeah, one of these days, maybe there'll be more people. If the books were selling a thousand times better, then there'd probably be more people listening to the podcast, more people on my Patreon. Yeah. Everything would go forward. But here we are. We're, we're making the best of it. Scramble, 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 scramble. And then people show up like you who are like, you're gonna, I'm, I'm going to throw my shoulder in for a month. Move everything over here forward. And, and so here you are. And, and you're going to be here through Thanksgiving. And you've sat through a couple of our half-assed holidays. Not too bad. Great. I wish I could do it longer and, and still, like, have the other life things that I have. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. Um, anyway, all right. Anything else to throw into this podcast? No, I'm good. Okay. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com. We talk about how to address a duke. <laughs> <laughs> homesteading, and permaculture all the time. Hi, this is Mark. There are a lot of reasons to get angry these days, but I prefer to focus on the positive things that we each can do to make this world a better place. The book Building a Better World in Your Backyard, Instead of Being Angry at Bad Guys, is a great resource for just that. Instead of throwing my arms up in frustration at governments or big corporations, there's a list of ideas that we each can tackle to affect change. Information about this book and other resources can be found at permies.com.